0: Episode 171 of GI Joeberg, the show which just keeps on trucking, baby. 171 episodes, it feels like it's been a lot more than that. But uh, we started nine years ago and we're still going. My name is Steve. Who else have I got? You also got Paul here, who just can't stop talking
1: about GI Joe either. And we're joined by Kujo, who can't seem to get GI Joe off his mind. How you can't doing, Stephen?
0: Great, Cooj. You know, we're scrambling for a topic, and it's been a while since we reached into the mailbag, as it were, and did a Postbox The Pit episode, so what better way than to hear from the thriving community that surrounds us and get some Q&As going? The community, i.e. you guys, responded magnificently, and we'll be getting onto those in a minute. I mean, literally, we've got so many questions that in order to make our, like, sub-two-hour podcast, we're going to have to fly through them at, like, I don't know, you guys are going to have to be disciplined. My speed. I'm going to time y'all. You've got uh, 60 seconds to respond.
2: (laughs) I don't know, I kind of feel like this should be, like, a part one, because, I mean, we do have a lot of stuff to cover, and I'd rather, I'd like
0: to give it a little bit of meat. You know, as opposed to just rushing through. I mean, in other words, that's Paul's way of saying, "Hell no, I'm not sticking to a minute." <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean,
2: seriously though, I mean, I'm sure there's people out there who have spent quite a lot of time on that question, and they'd like to, us to give it a bit of justice. There we go. <laughs> Some serious air time.
0: All right, all right, but let's uh, let's air ourselves first. Anyone got anything they'd like to get off their chests before we plunge into the mailbox? Um, <laughs> I'm very happy
2: with the two things that I had added to YouTube in the last week. They were great um that if you got if our listeners don't know what I'm talking about, I released a music video for altitude uh it's one of our uh, g i Joeberg music tracks that we use quite a bit on different episodes and I did an interview slash q and a slash that's what she said with my girlfriend Cecilia and uh that went up as well this past week and that was quite fun and uh yeah so i've been quite productive this week in terms of videos so yeah i'm feeling quite good about those i'm re- i really enjoyed making them and popping them up and uh some of the responses have been fantastic excellent yeah.
0: kuj what do you got for us brother
1: i did enjoy that video paul it's pretty good let's see well i do want to drop a little bit of context it's a sunday morning it's overcast and I'm enjoying a strain that's actually new to me. It's called Durban poison. Now let me drop some context. Yay. Yeah. Its, its characteristics are energetic, uplifting, and euphoric. Uh, it did originate in South Africa in the city of Durban. So have you guys been to that city and do those words match up? <laughs> <laughs>
0: energetic. I don't know, man. I, I fail to see, uh, pot smoking and and energy um, as complimentary terms. Uh,
1: yeah. Anytime
0: I've dabbled in the stuff, it has put me right out. Case in point, <laughs> joke on 2018, <laughs> Saturday night <laughs> when everyone, everyone was getting their jollies, Stephen took uh, something and that was the end of his night. <laughs> because, I mean, in my defense, it was a 14-hour flight, an 18-hour drive, and two days worth of joke on to that point, which had really kind of yeah. taken it out of me. I, I think really I was asleep too thing.
1: that night. <laughs> no, that was not Durban Poison, though. Um, The city of Durban, any words about it?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I would say uh, Durban is definitely the the big place for the end of year jam. So like uh, when it's uh, year end, that's where all of the kiddies and their families go for, for Christmas holidays. They love going to Durban. And then the various beaches in Durban. Schlanger and Bolito and all those places so it gets very energetic at that time of the year Durban's laid back but not laid back like how Cape Town is laid back to be fair and it's very industrial for a, for a port town however it does have a beachfront that is very reminiscent of the Miami beachfront in fact so much so that if you if you look at our beachfront or the Durban beachfront and you take some photos of it and you hold it next to you, Miami, Florida or that one famous um, strip in Miami, Florida. Yeah, you you actually see that they're quite similar. The the neon is the same, the architecture is the same, the colors used for the buildings is the same. It's almost like when they when they built that place they were trying to be Miami. It's random.
0: <laughs> yeah. Kruger, I know you like your architecture, but uh, there's definitely a British colonial slant to Durban. But I'll say it's like being recolonized by Africa. By that I mean, Durban is—it's kind of dishevelled now. It's kind of being reclaimed by the jungle. It is in the tropics. It's banana mm-hmm. country, and it is—it's incredible to see how, you know, things are just being swallowed up by green.
1: Hmm. I'm in Durban, guys. You know, it's <laughs> kind of interesting. Uh, <laughs> a couple leaps there. If Durban is like Florida. I think uh, Dexter, that TV show, took place in Florida, but they filmed that in Long Beach. So, technically, I am <laughs> urban. Aside from that, I did have the pleasure of attending the virtual JoeCon put on by uh, What's on Joe Mine this week. You've probably seen podcasts. Drop it in your feed. A lot of good interviews. Uh, the name Arun Singh comes to mind. Tweet game strong. Cheers. There was a lot of people that turned up for the convention, and I talked with Mike and Rob And uh, first time I chatted with them, brothers, and I did talk myself into some corners, but uh, for the most part, that was a damn good chat. And if you haven't caught it, uh, definitely step into it. And I will add a a black book wrinkle. Let me take a breath real quick. Let's see. (laughs) Bubbles. We started started talking the black book a little bit. and We (laughs) talked the desert scorpion because he does find the pages. And, uh, I was kind of chatting up the, the uncertain nature of like the characters. And this is one character that when we started out, when Paul was coloring him and stuff, like we both kind of started liking the character more than the, maybe the protagonist themselves. But mm. I wanted to create a character that confused everything. Basically, think back to the pages. When the steel brigade touched down, Dusty's looking at white lightning. That's already a triangle. White Lightning shares the water bottle with Dusty first, but she leaves with Cujo. So, I mean, like, there's a lot of confusing psychology going on. And with the Scorpion, you'll notice that he never insults anybody. He's never on the attack. He rolls up on the army guy and he says, you can't handle me. He goes in there and uh, White Lightning says, can you see to our guest, my love? Psychologically, I wrote him ambiguously. And, of course, you know how, how he ends up. So... I think anybody who's been on the pages of the Black Book, look at the Scorpion again. You'll notice that he never really was the bad guy. That's all.
2: Can I add something quickly just to go in with your Durban Poison comment? Please.
1: I'm rolling right now. Yeah, please.
2: So, uh, just a warning to parents. The following may be unsuitable for your children. <laughs> okay, so we ran out of cigarettes <laughs> in my household. And as did my girlfriend. <laughs> And uh, we were scrambling to get our hands on cigarettes. And just to give you some context, in South Africa, because of the lockdown, uh cigarettes and alcohol may not be sold, which is completely ridiculous. Um, but that's not the conversation right now. The conversation is that we were stuck uh, up Shit Creek without a paddle with regards to cigarettes. And so we had resorted to our plan B, which is rolling tobacco, which was actually quite rad. It was awesome until we ran out of papers and we couldn't get papers anywhere. And then... Uh, we found a really cool tip on the internet, and Kujo's going to love this. So we figured out how to smoke not only tobacco, but tobacco mixed with a little bit of rooibos tea through an apple. So that was my DIY for the last week. <laughs> Thankfully, the next day we received cigarettes. We, uh, one of my contacts came through. But <laughs> Wow, that was rough. Anyway, just thought I'd share, because that was pretty nuts, and it goes with some Durban poison there.
1: It's very outback of you. You ever smoke through an apple cooch? Uh, I I know I'm I I'm equipped, but I've seen people do it. <laughs> I, look, I, it is creative. I think
0: in my misspent youth I did it once. Interesting. <laughs> That's all I can say. Uh, at least two members of this podcast have, then, <laughs> which is Just, uh, which is don't don't bizarre. be eating the apple afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Is there any uh. Joes that light up? Ah, uh, surely surely, Footloose, bro when i'm um, I'm just postulating, and very possibly rock and
2: roll as well, at the very least, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, but you're not in a surferosa band without hitting some kind of blood uh
0: so. i i i would like to think that uh, shipwreck is a pipe smoker,
1: yeah, yeah, I can see Come. him on night watch doing that, yeah, yeah, and
0: keel Hall probably likes uh. A cigar from time Good to time. Good
1: old Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Flexing on the checkmate, discovery checkmate. Guys, uh, getting back
0: to Virtual Joe Con, Uh while the entire panel on What's in Joe Mind are assets to the community, anytime Mark Weber opens his mouth, I mean, maybe it's suicide talking about another podcast on this one, but uh, Mark Weber. He's an ex-Hasbro employee and man, he has the career trajectory that we all perhaps wish we had. Of like being G.I. Joe diehard fans and then ultimately getting to work on G.I. Joe for Hasbro. His insights are gold, pure gold. I love hearing Mm -hmm. his reminiscing about what it was like, uh, the rise and the eventual fall. Because as you may or may not know... He's ex-Hasbro, which means he was, uh, uh, what was the term they used? Has been? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But uh he's great. Another podcast I'd love to shout out before we reach into the mailbag at long last is Order of Battle. Friend of G.I. Joe Berg, Jason, and his buddy Joel have a fantastic and very well-balanced collector's podcast between the two of them. With the occasional, That's Jason Merrill's one, hey? Correct. With the occasional yeah. cameo yeah. from Jason's son and <laughs> Chief Playmate. It is a fantastic show. Very professionally presented. Hell, It's riveting just hearing them talk about ordering pizza. Because <laughs> they are... I mean, Jason particularly is very good at attending local conventions. Their insight into collecting is second to none and also kind of gives us a rather cruel glimpse at uh, the G.I. Joe collecting landscape pre-COVID-19. It's anybody's guess as to whether or not the next Joe Fest will actually happen or not. Uh, I guess we'll hold thumbs, and maybe there's a question that'll deal with that in the bag. But, uh, gentlemen, without further ado, shall we begin? Hold on.
1: Hold on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. let me step to the Weber noise real quick. Listener, you may recall that we were busting Weber's chops back in the day. Remember Tombstone? He yeah. created that guy. Mark, if you're in this, uh, we actually renamed him 8-Ball, and he's the only guy that can make Cobra Commander laugh. But I, I just wanted to point out that it's cool to see somebody who was on the business side actually come and flex wit and stuff like that, and I agree with you, Stephen. It's, it's cool to uh, hear him uh, pipe in about different things.
0: man terrific Mm. terrific just uh how hasbro doomed its own line by releasing products when there was no movie and then then there was a movie and all the big retailers were like no one's buying this product but meanwhile the product had been out for a year already and then the one thing led to the other man so paramount fucked us guys paramount fucked us yep
1: on that note that's your cue steven
0: Question number one. I'm not going to do this randomly. I'm going to do it by social media platform. We start with Instagram and uh, another friend of the show and former guest, Mr. Bart Simon. He wants to know what things do you love the most that people hate or think you're just crazy for loving? For me, it's the Hmm. Armatech Star Brigade guys. Love those guys. They were my Iron Man action figure trope. Before Iron Man was cool. Rob and I had the full set and they had jet boots and they were fully capable of stepping out of the airlock into space. We would do very alien-esque, like sort of infiltrations to messed up moon bases and stuff. Uh, We would fight bats soaring through the heavens. They were fully armed. They had computer scanners and readouts on their head-up displays. They were just the coolest toys to play with so limited articulation be damned man rob and i love those toys next
2: cool uh i'm gonna ring in uh i think one of the big things that i really love uh that a lot of people like facepalm i really dig uh, crystal ball and crockmaster um as well as raptor i really love those oddball joes and a lot of people i know don't dig them and i think they're such great toys and these are characters I've recently come to really, really love. I'm not talking about recently like as in the last few months, like in the last few years as an adult collector. I've just been totally blown away by them, and I love them. I think they have so much potential for awesome characterization, and, and the sculpts are really great, in my opinion. And uh, they've just been really fun toys. Uh, so that's that's one of those for me. Cooge.
1: I don't know. I, I, may, I feel like I may have to take a flyer on this because I can't think of something that I like that really repulses people. I don't know. I got nothing, Stephen. Keep going.
0: All right. So it's a uh, Croc Master, Crystal Ball at alf Paul and the Star Brigade armor figures for Steve. Uh, Range Viper Rob or Range Viper 84 on Insta says, "Can you decipher the black book for me?" Ha ha ha! Just kidding. <laughs> Steve. I'll, I'll figure it out in a few years. <laughs> His real question is, "What video games are keeping you busy these days?" I'm a Switch guy, but a few years behind. Zelda, Hollow Knight, Ori, and DBZ Fighters for me.
2: (laughs) Nice choices. Sorry. Mm. Okay, (laughs) Mr.
0: Gaming, you can leave the charge on this one, Paul.
2: Yeah. um, So, I was very lucky pre-lockdown. I managed to get my hands on the new Doom Eternal, which has been so good. Uh, I've been playing Doom Eternals pretty much the whole time during lockdown, when I've had like an hour or two just to get away from my computer. Um, I've been enjoying that Uh, it's fantastic by the way I still actually haven't finished it and not because it's too hard it's just because it's one of those I know as soon as I finish it it's over it's done Um, and I don't know if I will replay it again so I'm doing every little like thing I'm going I'm trying to uh, get a fuller completionist sort of playthrough, like getting every item trying to find every easter egg do every challenge etc so that's been great it's also been really great for my mood because uh, sometimes during this lockdown, it's been a bit frustrating, you know, and, and work stuff sometimes is a bit frustrating. So I need the, I need a doom to take the edge off. And the other game I've been playing um, uh, that I've been able to play with my girlfriend is Streets of Rage 4, which is such an amazing game. I mean, if anybody out there likes Streets of Rage, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Streets of Rage 4 is the, the best sequel that they could have ever made. It's kind of like the Sonic Mania. Streets of Rage. It's just it's got everything that fans love. It feels great. It's tough. It's fun to play. Wow, love it. And that's the other game I've been playing, and that I have been playing over and over again as well. It's just been fun to just also use to to blow off a bit of steam and whatever.
0: I'm a retro gamer at heart. I was gifted a PlayStation Mini by Mr. Paul Loebshire before I left <laughs> the country a year ago, and my Go to at the moment is twofold. The the one is a little bit of web swinging fun with the the Activision was it NeverSoft yeah NeverSoft Spider-Man. Uh, love that game. It takes me back Such to being cool 16 years old again. As does and it's very appropriate given uh, the the current situation in the world. The world of survival horror that is Resident Ooh. Evil 2. Resident. Evil Oh, two. I can play that all day, man. <laughs> I did a playthrough of Resident uh, and Evil, and uh, the sequel was primed. And I'm very familiar with that game, so it's it's great fun to rediscover and also to go down memory lane, man. It takes me back. It really does. Kooch, yeah. how about you, buddy?
1: Mm, I can definitely relate to the... Uh, I spent one summer just, like, religiously playing Resident Evil 2. Unlocked Hunk, Tofu, the whole nine. Um, nowadays, I'm, I think I'm a handheld gamer these days. There's a, there's a new handheld that just came out called the Evercade. It's just now on my radar. It has an Atari Lynx cartridge. Did you guys ever, nobody ever played the Atari Lynx out there maybe, but that was my handheld. (laughs) Um, so I think I'm gonna, I got a birthday coming up. I might get myself an Evercade with an Atari Lynx cartridge and just call it a day.
2: Nice, dude. Yeah, the Evercade, I think, is uh, perfectly suited for somebody like yourself who's not like this hardcore gamer. It's a really great little retro console. If our listeners don't know, it's got a NES attachment, a SNES attachment, uh, a Mega Drive attachment, Commodore 64 attachment, and the um, aforementioned Atari Lynx attachment. And uh, you can buy those. I I think that you buy those separately. So you buy the unit and you buy those.
1: If you're looking for a signal boost, you got South Africa and Long Beach in the house. Why don't you uh, send one down? (laughs) We'll we'll definitely chat them up. Cheers, guys.
0: Cool. Next question, Steve. Reaching into the Twitter mailbag, we got our buddy, Vagon. And he wants to know, what was the most controversial thing you ever owned? (laughs) I'm going to sort of narrow the the lens a little bit. What was the most controversial toy you ever owned? Is that too narrow?
2: No, I think that's actually better. (laughs) You guys can answer it however
0: you like, but I'm going to say that the very first action figure I ever ordered online happened to be my very first female G.I. Joe, and that was Lady J. Shortly after that, Rob got Scarlet, but he would always leave it at my place. And I must say, having female action figures at that time was controversial. We were young teens... And, like, that just opened itself up to, like, a whole new range of game types. You heard? I must say there was one point in my G.I. Joe toy playing career where Scarlet and Lady J were both members of some kind of vice squad. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll leave it at that. random.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, when I was short, ladies, the AVAC pilot kind of looked like a lady a little bit. Just saying.
0: Wow controversy indeed what's <laughs> <Congratulations. laughs> the most controversial thing you have owned, paul uh
2: yeah this is gonna be random uh so uh, i think let me let me soften the blow a bit uh a friend of mine is a huge collector of barbie <laughs> uh so much so that he he makes yes he you know he makes these huge dioramas and he's built this whole like royal family sort of um Law around his barbies uh he and and also he's a jeweler so he makes jewelry for them etc it's crazy i mean listen it's actually it's kind of cool in its own way uh because that's what he digs he you know he loves it that's what he does um that's his fandom anyway so one fateful birthday of mine uh i i got gifted a barbie (laughs) so that um you know if ever i was at his house you know, and he was doing one of these big, like, royal soirees, or whatever he called them, I wouldn't feel left out. Needless to say, I have never participated in any of these, but I still have the Barbie. (laughs) It's somewhere in a cupboard. So, yeah. Mm. That is probably the most controversial toy I have, only because, you know, Barbie is typically... um, gender-focused when it comes to... uh, It's a girl's toy, damn
0: it. (laughs) Look, if you didn't make your action figures have at least one giant orgy... Come on. Come on. (laughs) My head's stuck! My (laughs) (laughs) head's... I've got an incredible flash-forward to, like, that scene from Team America World Police. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Anyways, let's grow up and, and get with the program. Kooj, do you have an entry or do you have just too many entries? Uh,
1: Just just the one, but I, and we may as well. It's in the same vein. Um, I was gifted a shirt. I'm not this controversial, but people tend to think I am. I was gifted a shirt in college that had George Bush's face on it with a bunch of bombs that said, Who would Jesus bomb? And I <laughs> used to wear that shirt. This was in I lived in Kansas at the time. And that shirt would literally blow people's cowboy hats off. People did get in my face on the regular. But no, that was the most controversial thing, easily. <laughs> Shit, dude. Wow. Yeah. You're cruising for a bruising. It, it is wow. what it is. In retrospect. Uh, cheers, guys. What's the next question? Moving on.
0: It's Facebook time. JD Onesie, our previous guest, he wants to know, to all the G.I. Joe Berg panelists... Who is the worst GI Joe character ever, and why is the answer Tripwire? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're absolutely
1: That's right, JD. Hold on, let me bounce back on this one. The 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 orange tripwire is not bad. Do you have my back on that one?
2: Uh, I don't know, dude. I I I I know I like unusual shit, but that one, no.
0: <laughs> oh, you're talking about Listen and Fun Tripwire? It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, that's right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I. I don't have a a dog in the race other than to say like I bought Tripwire a long time ago, uh, about 13 years now, and I don't think I've ever really gotten much action out of him, and yet I've still managed to break his crotch.
1: The worst Joe figure is the X30 pilot. His head's too big. That mustache is cheesy. That guy should have a slick-looking space helmet on. Enough said.
0: So Smack talk about... Uh, what's Old his name? Slipstream. slipstream. Brad Withers has two questions for us. Question one is, doesn't Rampart look like he was a Hoth rebel soldier? I'm going to say yes.
2: Yeah, I'm going to totally say yes. It's part of his appeal. Actually, quickly, let's just rewind. I haven't thrown my, my figure into the mix there. Damn it! Oh, I. <laughs> <laughs> what's your worst guy? Paul. Dude, wild. No, what's his name? Uh, Monkey Wrench. I keep calling him Monkey Wrench. I don't know if it even is Monkey Wrench, but that fucking horrible toy. I hate that toy. It's the driver of the mean dog. It's the most
0: <laughs> ill-executed wild GI Joe toy ever made. I'll wild see card, your wild you. card and I'll raise you armadillo. I mean, it doesn't even have an original code name. It was already the name of a vehicle, and he looks awful.
2: Yeah, true, and it looks like the only word he can say is... I would take
0: skid mark any day of the week over Armadillo.
2: I agree. I gotta say, I agree with that fully. Uh, I, I, and my sentiments exactly, but with regards to Wildcard. That's how much I hate Wildcard, I can't even remember his name.
1: <laughs> I only have two words on the subject of Hearth. Wampa, Stampa. Next question.
0: Okay. (laughs) Brad Withers would also like to know, would G.I. Joe and Ninja Force be remembered a lot more fondly if the toys didn't have gimmicks to them? Hmm. Yes. Yeah, I think there would be a lot more love for them, definitely. Shadow Ninjas have the most breakable thumbs since Zap 1982. And the Karate Chop actions... Yeah, man... the only feature on Ninja Force action figures that I love to death happens to be the in- integration of uh, soft goods, whether it's rooted hair on Dojo or a sash on uh, Storm Shadow and Slice. Like Those elements are fantastic. But, I love uh, that
2: stuff too. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: the, the reductions in articulation is particularly unforgivable when you consider this is supposed to be a ninja toy, and therefore should be even more flexible than the average Joe. I think the greatest crime that they did in that
2: line is uh, Snake Eyes and Scarlet uh, having their, the way that their hips are designed for their action feature. Mm. I hate that. Every time I look at that, I'm like, wow, it's, it's actually such a great Snake Eyes and such a great Scarlet like design-wise that they are just completely marred by that play feature. It really irritates the shit out of me.
0: Oh, if you could have somehow gotten the classic <laughs> Scarlet body updated and just get that gorgeous mm. head sculpt. I mean, Ninja Four Scarlet has got, mm. got a nice head. Really yeah, does. Really does. <laughs> That's what Snake I said. And the rooted hair once again. Anyways. <laughs> I, I'm going to add to Kujo's Wompa Stomper in 64. That's right. I see you, brother. Carry on. <laughs> Shadows. <laughs> Glenn Peak would love to know that if Joe Fest has been moved to September, any chance of the Joe crew being able to make it to Augusta?
1: Ooh, sure, make um, it rain.
0: You going to go, Cooch? Uh
1: I don't <laughs> think so, but the Black Book still has some moves, so we'll see.
0: Come on, brother, you
2: got to represent. The reality of the situation, I think, for myself, is that in South Africa, we do not know how long our lockdown is going to be in place. We are currently in what's known as Stage 4. And uh, and I believe travel will only happen from stage one or international travel will only happen in stage one, which I suspect will, will only shake loose in September. And I believe that the flight plans for September are going to be so packed by people who have flights that they have had to forcibly cancel uh, that September is just going to be full of people flying back and forth. Um, there's going to be no way to get a ticket. Uh, that and our national carrier has been um, sort of It's gone bankrupt and uh, is being sort of reacquired. So, yeah, I mean, unless I had a private plane, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Glenn. We just won't be able to make it, uh, at least uh, from South Africa's side, uh, which opens us up to (laughs) Stephen.
0: Yeah, the situation in Australia, uh, restrictions are being lifted very, very gradually, but also very strategically. I mean... uh, (laughs) One look at the beach today, and you wouldn't believe that we're currently in a lockdown. You're able to have public access to the beach. You're able to picnic. You're able to have a barbecue outdoors. You're able to buy liquor, cigarettes, and surf. Uh, You know, Australia, or at least Queensland, is looking like uh, business as usual. But international travel, the conservative estimate on when Australians will be allowed to fly outside of their borders and then return to Australia is 12 months from now. That's the conservative effort, uh, estimate. It's looking probably more like 18 months. And that's a big blow to someone like me, who has lived a very global life up until now, to think that for the next year and a half, I'm stuck in one place. It's its a, it's a it's bitter enough. pill to swallow, and unfortunately it does mean that G.I. Joe Big will not have a presence at any future Joe events. Sorry, Glenn. You know we'd love to.
2: Yeah, we really, really, really would. You can see how much fun we had on our video, Oh, so.
0: well, Glenn witnessed it firsthand. <laughs> he did too. Getting swamped by his kids. That was fun. <laughs> ah, yeah, yes. He was totally rushed. Outback Stu mm. wants to know, <laughs> what's the best way to get away from 10 bounty hunters? Mm. <laughs> uh, step one, find Han Solo. Uh, mm. yeah, that didn't work out too well three. for all Han, did it? Yeah, but at least it'll work out well for you. (laughs) What, you're going to hide
1: in the trash,
0: just like the Millennium Falcon? Yeah, yeah.
1: That's probably the best answer, because it was one of the best scenes. I still remember going, damn, those guys are smart.
0: (laughs) I still go. I think we need advice from, like, Snake Eyes, Spirit, and Tracker on the matter. You have to Mm. cross that river several times, and... Definitely shake cayenne pepper onto your trail to put off the dogs. <laughs> man, yeah, and everything and I and... know about uh, evasion is uh, is based on GI Joe file cards, man.
1: You gotta flip the the visor down, and then Boba Fett. And then you hear the engine.
2: It's quite, a, it's quite an odd question, though, if you think about it, because, like, if he had said, like, how would you, like, escape law enforcement, then we'd be like, oh, yeah, it's easy, you know, you, you know, because we live in South Africa, so we're all like... <laughs> but bounty hunters, those guys are, like, those are legit, you know, those are people that are getting paid to find and catch you.
0: <laughs> well, all I can say is uh, our best wishes go out to Outback Stew. I hope he can evade those 10 bounty hunters, man. Or at least cut some kind of side deal that... Uh
1: let me, let me boil it down. How do you evade 10 people that are watching you? You change the music. You act like you're their boss. You walk in the room. Hey, what are you looking at? Get back to work. Yeah, of course I'm supposed to be here. That's how you do it. Oof. <laughs> right.
0: Fetch me in my bone. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Don't know how that'll work when the, the entire office uh, knows that you've got a price in your head and they're all willing to collect. But uh, Outback Stew, like as I say, I wish you well with those bounty hunters, brother. James Gaultier, what's the worst accessory slash weapon you disliked getting when they went to the sprue tree? <laughs> <laughs> That's something. I'm going to say uh, anything that required a backpack to make sense. Like Toxo Viper's weapon, which I still can't quite wrap my head around what it does. Gas gun, submachine gun, both uh and incinerator's flamethrower like these things were meant to go with a specified backpack and getting them mm. on a sprue tree with their like posts for the 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 GI Joe black hose you know the standard black hosing uh not included it was just like then you'd equip your cyber viper or mega viper or whatever with that weapon but the whole time you were kind of Looking on it with a bit of disdain because you're like, ugh, I know this is supposed to be part of a greater whole, but I'm just having to like toss a weapon in your hand for the sake of army building and having someone to shoot at, and it it doesn't look right, man. Weapons need to be signature, and they need to be a complete accessory in and of themselves. Anyway, that's me. Mm-hmm. I really hate that um, MP5
2: that they used to have it has like a very square um foregrip and it's like it's slightly oversized it's the shittest gun on the whole weapon tree i hate it hate it hate it it never really quite sits well in the hands of the gi joes because the the grip is just a little bit too big so it kind of it just never looks right always looks skew i hated that gun like i still hate that gun every time i see it i'm like (laughs) i hate that more than what uh, steven said (laughs) which is saying
0: something You hate what I say? No. No. (laughs) Cooch, I think Weapon Trees were long after you, brother.
1: Right, you are. But this is a good moment to say that I am once again returning to Durban. Next question.
0: (laughs) Hitting them trees. (laughs) Rob Walsh would like to know, was Galobulus and the entire concept of Cobra Law too ugly for it to connect with kids? Uh, Not, you know... I, I'm going to
2: answer this one first because when I first saw the G.I. Joe movie and Dave said, oh, there's toys of those characters, I couldn't wrap my head around Globulus being a G.I. Joe toy. My whole brain was like, wow, uh, like how are they going to make a G.I. Joe toy that has like a snake tail? Anyway, fast forward a couple of years, I finally have one and now I know, right? Don't finish that line. Um but uh, I would say the thing that actually put us off were the wings, dude. Uh, Nemesis and forces wings are so dopey. <laughs> um, I don't think it. I don't think they were too scary for us as kids or too weird for us as kids. I think they were spot on, and I actually think that they should have got their t- time in the sun with the second season of the Sunbow cartoon. Personally, I think that I think that's what killed them—the fact that they never got uh,
0: a proper third representation. Season, you mean,
2: yeah. Yeah. Sorry, a third season. I mm. always
0: I loved the grotesquerie of GI mm. Joe the movie. I think it's one of one of its most enduring characteristics that and the killer opening sequence. I remember as a child of about 4 or 5. I mean that's how young I was when I first watched it. That stuff chilled me to the bone, man. Having mm. Cobra Commander exposed to the spores and have his uniform ripped apart and his faceplate his faceplate kind of hang off his helmet. That stuff freaked me out. The the concept of mutating the human race like i think the ugly parts of cobra law was such a great escalation from like you know an evil terrorist organization with all of this kind of spooky iconography you know like temples and um torches you know flame torches and like cultish aspects and suddenly to add these monster aspects on top of that's Made it very inviting. I kind of wish there were more toys that played in that realm. Unfortunately, mm. I never had the Cobra Law team. I had very little contact with it other than the movie. I kind of was left longing for these monstrous toys to add a real tangible threat for my G.I. Joes. You know, instead of kicking the tar out of the blue guys all the time.
1: How about you, Goofy? Love me, a royal god. Mm. <laughs> well, look, Star Wars tried to do it too with the Yuzhan Vong, yeah? And it never really made sense. Rhymes with using bond. But, no, I, I think, yeah, you're put off by Cobra Law. I do think that Globulus's design was trash. I mean, from a symbolic sense, I get it. But, uh, put a shirt on. Um... <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think... Made of the, the, the Royal Guard works. You can mix the Royal Guard in, I think. They're a little organic. And I agree with the derpiness. Uh... No, I, I, think, I think Cobra Law is something that you have to really just take a look at. You know, I think we said enough in 133, right?
0: Arnold mm. Kamel would like to know, what are your thoughts on the new 1 to 12 scale GI Joes? And I think on the topic, I'm the only one who hasn't really weighed in. But uh, mm. I, I don't know if I was to guess. Paul, you're likely to, to want to pick them up. A handful of them, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Scarlet and Duke and Snake Eyes. Destro? You, you, yep. don't, you don't like Roadblock?
2: I don't like Roadblock, but here's the thing. Uh, thanks to our Patreons, I've been able to order a case, which has got all of those figures in. Uh Incredible. And it ended up being cheaper than buying them individually. So, whenever we're allowed to receive shipments in South Africa, I'll have
0: them to review for our channel. Or play with for our channel. Even better. <laughs> nice. So you are you going to stroll down the aisles of Walmart and pick one up?
1: Oddly enough, because of, like, the age of the visuals, I-, I think I'm just looking for figures that look cool in lighting, so I'll probably pick up Storm Shadow. That's all I can see right now. And if they bust out a Snow Serpent, of course.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. Okay, yeah. holding thumbs for that, uh, well, Storm Shadow and Snow Serpent, neither of which have been announced.
1: Yeah, oh, jeez. That fur under the lights. Hmm. <laughs>
0: I have to confess, guys, that uh, until they're staring me in the face, i.e. I've actually seen them in a store, uh, I don't think I can compel myself to buy them. they are just way too many uh, unticked boxes within the scale that I do collect. Just tonight, I missed out on something that I... I was debating whether or not I wanted to mention this, but like, uh, I guess I should... Somebody had an extremely good night tonight because they got a huge, huge lot of Pally toy action figures, Action Force action figures uh from the early 80s for 40 Australian dollars. That's 30 oh, US. Oh my word, that hurts me. And vehicles were included: a Shadow Track, the MMS, the SAS MMS. Yeah. No Skull, okay. Okay, fair enough. I would be reaming myself over that. But the vehicle that really, really irks me that's, that someone walks away with tonight, uncontested. There was only one bid. An uncontested bid. Sold for 40 Australian dollars. Disgusting. But the vehicle itself is something that I'm reading about currently in the pages of Battle Action Force. And that is the SAS Panther, which is the black vamp... With rubber tires and yellow accents. And what Uh, disgusts me the most is very clearly in the pictures. I mean, obviously, this is a person who doesn't really know the value of what they've got. Because otherwise, they would have broken up the set and sold it off piecemeal. But this SAS Panther has its steering wheel. Oh,
2: my word. (laughs) That part
0: alone would command the prices, you know, three times what this entire lot went for. And there were twenty seven figures in that lot.
2: Oh. So Anyways, explain to me why you didn't get this.
0: Or what foul? I don't was. know. I was just reading comics, and the notification didn't didn't ring. I think because I oh. I I hit watch within twelve hours of it ending. So you only oh. get the notification bell on eBay or or a kind of a reminder. Is it twelve hours? Is it fourteen hours? I don't know. It's some amount of time before it it disappears. So I was expecting some kind of like reminder and the reminder never came yes stupid yeah i've I've suffered from that hmm. i mean even if i had contested that bid to the tune of like 20 additional dollars it would have been well worth it anyways that's just how the game goes and the lesson to be taken from this is how can i possibly divert myself in the direction of six inch joe's When there's so much stuff out there that I desperately want way, way more than Joes that don't fit my chosen scale. I take the argument that uh, a rising tide raises all ships and it's important to support the product that is currently being sold. But that is exactly why I'm holding thumbs for the G.I. Joe Retro Collection. Or G.I. Joe Evergreen, whatever you want to call it. There's a question about that coming up, gentlemen. But I think it's time we move on to our friend, Mr. Jim Godfrey. Yeah. Always asking the sharp questions, so prick up your ears, boys. If you guys (laughs) were to revisit the classic G.I. Joe Berg episode 25 topic, (laughs) points Uh for guessing what that was, do you think your personal movie pitch ideas will have changed over the years? Can the 80s-centric Joe movie concept be beaten? I say no. But uh, I agree with you there. <laughs> Cooch, since you weren't around for episode number 25, wouldn't you give us an opinion, brother? Mm.
1: I would have to go back and listen to that. I actually was uh, looking through. I think I came on in the 40s. Um, uh,
0: give us your pitch anyways. What is your ultimate G.I. Joe movie?
1: Brother, that's an episode unto itself, really.
0: I know, right? And it I would been. like to
1: listen to 25 and to hear what you guys said, and then kind of do a, an episode standalone. I think right now, you could do a modern-day Joe that would hit so damn hard. Look at it through the lens of They Live, and kind of Paul Aller's take. That's all.
0: Uh, yes, our enemies are no longer Hydra. Our enemies are now totalitarianism the military industrial complex mm. Mm. maybe it's been on the nose the joes being the outsiders yeah no it's compelling stuff i would um enter a, a second option or third option at this stage my first obviously being hell yes set gi joe in the late cold war era pre-cell phones The Tomcat was ruling the skies. Computers still had to be carried around in uh, entire suitcases. (laughs) That's my era, man. That's when G.I. Joe makes sense. And that's where Cobra makes sense. Comes comes as the sort of third faction between the, the East and the West. But failing that, and riding the tide of popularity that is things like Stranger Things, I would do a meta story about you and me growing up in the 80s as kids and playing with the coolest action figures ever created. I don't know if you guys remember The Secret Lives of Alter Boys. Um, no, actually. Sorry. Well, it was a film that played out on two planes. You'd have this interesting story involving these total comic book nerds who were actually attending like a convent school, uh, not a convent school, I don't know, the equivalent for boys, altar boys school, I don't know, it was like a very, very, very um, cloistered religious school, and uh, they had a very strict mother superior, or headmistress, whatever you would call them, but they had a penchant for comic books, which was obviously very, very illicit, uh, and they were all comic book artists, and they would write their own stories. And so you would alternate between the real world stories of these boys and their trials and tribulations within this very conservative society and their imaginative world, which was actually presented in animation, where each of them was yeah. represented by the cool like avatar and they'd go on adventures to try and defeat this evil demonic <laughs> mother superior. <laughs> Is that like an uh, indie <laughs>
1: flick from like 10 years ago?
0: More than ten years ago, buddy. I remember I seeing do when remember I was that when I school. Yeah. So I would Sounds propose cool, a world where we would flash between these children who are essentially our avatars. You know, they're 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 living out our youths, and then their imaginative world that they flip into when they have GI Joes in their hands. It's such a good concept, I think I even wrote a short story about it, and Mm. that short story will be presented on the YouTubes, actually, shortly. I'm finally Mm going to release them to the world for judgment, since uh, Kindle Worlds has now been closed down. So Jim, if you want to know my movie pitch, uh, it's going to be falling into your ear holes pretty soon. (laughs) And eye holes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There'll be some accompanying artwork from Mr. Paul Loebshire. Excellent. 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 Forthcoming t-shirt, I hope. Magnus Lauglo would like to know, what kind of stories would you like to see in G.I. Joe comics? Whether we're talking about the themes that Harmer could delve into in the A-Raw Odyssey, or if we're talking about new comics outside of that canon? Steve, you go first. (laughs) I've just been talking. Okay, well, I've been doing a a reread of the Battle Action Force, uh, which I have not been doing for the simple reason that the Blood for the Baron website has them all available, all for free, but the reader is such a chore to try and squint your eyes to read, particularly because it is presented largely in black and white. So... To not have it physically in a tangible copy in your paws, makes it, as I say, a bit of a chore. Uh, there is a colouring in project which has been completed, so all of it is presented in colour, if you, uh, to varying degrees of success. I mean, some guys colour it really nicely, some guys go a little bit off piste, shall we say. But it still is not as satisfying as having a copy in your hand. I've finally taken the plunge and finally, like, it's, it's a hole in my G.I. Joe knowledge I need to fill. And so I have started reading them and I absolutely love it. It's in danger of becoming my most favorite G.I. Joe stories or not even G.I. Joe stories, proto-G.I. Joe stories, Action Force stories of all time. Simply because it brings that grit of, like, anything could happen. They can, and regularly do, kill off their darlings. Characters that you build up a rapport with over innumerable issues, and adventures, and danger, are suddenly wasted. And that's war, and that's hell, and that's that's a hard story, man. It's hard-hitting, and it's taken me by surprise a number of times. Uh, I've just finished reading Operation Bloodhound. And Operation Sand Strike? Or Desert Strike? Desert Strike. Anyways. Oh, such good stories. To see that in a, in a current comic book, or even just to enjoy it now, looking back, that is my go-to now, Magnus. Those are my favorite stories to read. It's thrilling stuff. Cool. The thing is, I haven't
2: been able to properly enjoy a lot of the newer G.I. Joe stuff, uh, just because of its accessibility to me. And... um the limitation of certain online readers (laughs) um, as well. So that's kind of uh, also been a bit of a hindrance for me. So I'm coming from a point of view that is uh, sort of focused on the original Hummer Run and Some Devil's Due. Um, So I would love to see a a Joe story that just starts getting a bit more, um, where they actually start killing your darlings, actually. Uh, It's funny that Stephen would mention what he did because I'd also like to just uh, give some vulnerability to the Joes. You know, it it is a thing when you read those comic books that, or when you read those stories that you kind of feel like, oh, you know, like all of these guys are gonna make it anyway. You, it, it makes Cobra impotent, and I hate that. I'd like to start seeing stories where Cobra has some balls again. Where yeah, where well, they actually kill Snake Eyes. Yeah, but I mean, like whatever. Like yeah, they killed Snake Eyes. That's great. You know, um, whoopee. But I'm talking about like it would be nice if our characters actually felt properly vulnerable and the the, the best memory i actually have for that uh, and is when they killed lady jay in the devil's due series that was quite a surprise i did not see that coming uh and that was cool you know that, that was great that was like wow shit they killed her and then i was like actually angry and i was like but they still killed her that's great I think, unfortunately, the comic books of, uh, well, uh, all comic books have started to pander to the fans, and they just want to make fans happy, and they don't want to upset fans by killing characters, so it's something I don't think we'll see properly in a while. I suppose, careful what we wish for, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, i just like to see, uh, I don't want to say more death, I just want Cobra to be scary again in comic books, that's all.
0: And Mr. Comic Book Writer himself and illustrator, hey. Kujo, let's have it, brother.
1: What do you want from your Joe book? Just one man's opinion. I like self-contained stories at this point. Like, comic books should be as small as the medium. They should be in your backpack. You should be able to be done with it in 20 pages. Out of the Joes, I'd like to see single-issue tales within tales I'm already familiar with. But, you know, that's well-traveled. I think, honestly, the last era of Joe books, it didn't really gain much momentum. I don't think, like... The feminist movement, where they turned all the women essentially violent, it never really hit. Like, I didn't ever really understand a female snake eyes, really. But maybe some people did, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't have. I just think that, like, the next Joe book has to be smart, and I think that comes from the top down. That's what made G.I. Joe resonate through decades. It wasn't, oh, this is a badass so-and-so. It was uh, the real stuff, so... That's what makes Joe books.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to draw the strings closed on this by saying I, I sense what you're getting at there, Cooge. And that's like when I flick through the pages of a GI Joe book, I don't want to see a superhero comic. Yeah. Sure. I want <laughs> to see real people dealing with, dealing with real realistic tactical situations and doing it in a realistic way. I think we can all agree our scribe of choice, Mr. Larry Harmer, was always at his best when he was using hyper-attention to actual military detail. And it felt so mm-hmm. real to us. Like He could have been blowing hot air, but we didn't know any better, and he sold it so well. That we would pore over those details, and that would inform our play. It suddenly legitimated everything. These weren't just superheroes that were had bullets bouncing off them and, and could stare down thousands of adversaries and, and not flinch. Like, these were guys that had to use guile and cunning and strategy to win the day. And I think that's when harm is at his best. And that's why I invoke the, the, the writing of the Battle Action Force crowd. Because they were all oh. writers from the sort of the war <laughs> you know they all wrote those very realistic war stories and they brought that lens and applied it to a kid's property a toy line but a soldier property nonetheless so why dumb it down i think gi joe writing is certainly at its weakest when they elevate these guys to unkillable ninja wraiths that you just stare down and automatic gunfire and, and do some flippy dippy chippy shit and not have a scratch. It's weak. <laughs> and
2: <laughs> flippy dippy chippy shit, whatever. Um, to add to your point, Steve, uh, I think guys like Larry Hammer and some of the, the the gentlemen and ladies probably writing the action for stuff were trying to write uh, stories that would um, discourage the reader from wanting to be in war. Versus um, how a lot of the modern stories are, I don't want to say glorifying war, but they are making the comic books action movies, uh, oh. which is safe war. It's war diet, <laughs> war light,
0: sugar-free war. So So thematically, you'd like, like, G.I. Joe comics to just have balls, right, Paul? Don't dance around the issue. Just balls. Okay.
2: Yeah, like, yeah, stop, like... Yeah, there's some great stories out there that can be told and just, you know, use G.I. Joe as a cautionary tale again. That kind of tell us like these like you were saying, these are people that are really hardcore, they actually have a very difficult life. And yeah, Cobra's scary. And, and at
1: the risk of wandering the streets of Durban for too long. <laughs> should we head to the next question? Or
0: Sure, sure. We sure. should. I, we should I totally just, I, do that. I, I mean it's a complex question Magnus asks and I really wanted to do it justice. But something that's just occurred to me now. It's just like the Chris Claremont X-Men run, where you don't just see the X-Men fighting the villain of the week. You actually see quieter, introspective moments. I think I'd Mm -hmm. like to see, as we pose at the top of this topic, which of the Joes like to suck down on a stogie at the end of a hard day? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, which of them are pipe smokers? Which of them like something perhaps a little bit more uh, racy? Hey, Cooch. Uh You know, just connect with them on a more personal level. I'd love mm-hmm. a G.I. Joe book that just really dealt with their downtime at base or their training exercises or their romantic life. There's so many stories to tell, guys. We're barely scratching the surface. And maybe we'll never really, outside of the realm of fan fiction, get down to those brass tacks. Anyways, next question. Magnus Fantastic, thank you very much. Cody Scalf would like to know, perhaps you could talk about how other Joe-related figures intertwined with your playtime. Ha! I know what he's getting at. He primarily wants to know how the Core interacted with the G.I. Joes. Uh, (laughs) We have spoken on this... um, Time and time again, but I mean it's scattered through the mists of time in multiple episodes of this podcast. So just uh, in brief, Paul, how did you integrate other action figures?
2: Oh geez, I have to think. I think the core were always integrated into my play series because I was like, wow, I could get twenty of these for the same price as a uh, Sonic Fighters uh, Cobra Commander. So they were integrated. Uh, they were they were more like stand-ins, I think, if anything, you know, trying to fill in roles that I didn't have before. Um, uh, not or sometimes shared bad guys, sometimes, but nothing uh, quite as involved as your playtimes. I'm, I'm sure, with them. I think Core were just the cheaper GI Joes for me, and they had some great vehicles. I, I had a lot of fun putting GI
0: Joes into Core vehicles, namely that yellow jeep. <laughs> so. Ah, the infamous <laughs> yellow jeep. Yeah, hmm. for a time, Rob, L, and myself were pretty much done with Cobra. The outlandish uniforms, the garish colors. Uh, we didn't want that. We wanted a more real-world villain. And I think the war on drugs presented that option. G.I. Joe were often tossed with daring raids into the South American continent to free hostages, topple dictatorship banana republics, take out fields of, of narcotics. <laughs> uh, and um. the core were our go-tos for these kind of South American warlords. All led by an action figure that was played by Fox, if you're familiar with the call. Uh, We renamed him Carlos Duarte, the Scorpion, with a K. (laughs) It's a good time. Tony Tanner was called Reza Ramon. And of course we had an ex-Australian SAS member called Boomerang Billy. He was always great fun. Boomerang? Yeah. Rang rang Billy? He was not a (laughs) ranger. Not a ring, huh? <laughs> Cooge, did you use the Core or any other toy line, for that matter, uh, similar to Joe in your playtimes?
1: Barely any overlap. I did build some Lego constructs, maybe some subs for some figures, that kind of stuff. A little bit of robotics. One Robotech figure used to find its way into Cobra ranks. Do you remember that baby blue beetle butt-looking thing? He's like a, he's a soldier for Robotech. The Matchbox toys.
0: The
2: early series or the later series?
1: Early series. No, he had like uh, a blue. He was light blue, and he had two black slits on his like faceplate. Um, somebody can see him out there. But he used to kind of follow Cobra Commander around a little bit. But that was the same era as like fingerboards. So I think it was a Robotech figure riding a skateboard. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Bodacious. The core. The core figures. They, they couldn't have been as interesting. They must have been just, like, red shirts, right? They had some cool weapons, dude. Yeah. I mean, there was a time when they were
0: just literally cannon fodder. You know, I'd have them, like, pre-armed and stacked into the back of a core APC. So anytime we needed, like, a quick action scene, we'd have this <laughs> APC sort of roll up on whatever building my guys were were holed up in and out of the back would pour all the core members and surround the building and kind of make an infiltration and naturally be gunned down largely by Alistair while <laughs> Rob filmed the whole affair as Scoop and I would uh, have to control all the bad guys when all I really wanted to do was uh, lay the pain with a, a very well-armed shockwave. Damn, that's typically how these things played out. Mark van Leeuwen, the lion... Uh, what are your thoughts about possibly the upcoming retro line listed on Walmart? Or was that already covered previously? We have not covered it previously, Mark. No. What do you guys think about this retro line? I suppose it's too early to say. But if it is what we're all hoping it is, it's a no-brainer, right? going to get in the way of me buying vintage figures, that's for sure. If they're good. <laughs> Dude, it might uh, supplant the need to buy vintage figures. I mean, why gut yourself trying to get a vintage Scarlet action figure, for instance, which is something I'm trying to track down currently, when you can just buy her in the retro collection. Hey, hey. Yeah, well, I mean,
2: you said it yourself. You know, the vintage G.I. Joes are the best figure uh, toys ever created. So I think that's why I would still want to track vintage toys. But hey, listen, I've got quite a sizable modern era collection, and, you know, I'm always open to cool toys. On a few occasions, I've almost pulled the trigger and bought um, Fortnite toys except for the fact that they, for me, they just don't look like a lot of fun and they seem overpriced and I'd rather buy a Transformer for that price. But if it says G.I. Joe on the box and it looks like a lot of fun, then I'll totally do it. It was just illicit. I need to have an emotional response to it and I can't say until I've actually seen the figures. I think that's the, the most fair thing I can say is I need to see the toys. I need to, uh, my, my 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 little heart has to race. I have to go, <gasps> when I see them, then I'll know. <laughs> That's that's yeah. that's what I wait for. <gasps> that feeling. It's
0: gonna be really intriguing to see what form they take. Mm, definitely. But we're getting an all striker again.
1: Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> Wake me up when the six-inch snow serpent drops. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all righty then. Darren Cobb, A.K.A. Railroad. Hey, would like Railroad. to know. In team rosters as diverse as the Joe and Cobra ones, what roles slash jobs do you think they are missing? Does Cobra need a short-order cook viper? Do the Joes need a highly trained bicycle courier? What (laughs) jobs do you think need filling, and what sort of characters would you have do it? Well, clearly we need a train driver called Railroad. Hell yeah. Damn. I mean, logistics. We need someone to to move G.I. Joe equipment cross-country, and the rail... Yeah, Amtrak baby. <laughs> that could actually be his name, I suppose. Amtrak That's a good baby. one. Amtrak baby.
2: <laughs> well, I think Cobra is sorely lacking, uh firstly, they're sorely lacking a medical officer. And yes, I know that they did one in New Sculpt era and it's called a medical viper or whatever, but who cares? I think they need like a dedicated named character to deal with um sort of, you know, medical side of things. They need a doc. In fact, if they made a character that was pretty much the inverse of doc like some kind of dr venom yeah yeah but like a a medical like med school kind of dropout or a famous doctor or whatever that like you know the only way he can carry on practicing is by being part of cobra and he's like literally the polar opposite of doc like he's he's psychotic he's maybe got some kind of addiction problem and he's a little bit yeah he's a little bit sick you know like that would be cool but you know what at the end of the day uh you know, he's going to put your, your Cobra Troopers in a in a cast, you know, if they break their little legs, or he's going to put a band on their whoopsies. So, um... And replace know, their O-rings. Cobra needs something like that. <laughs> yeah, somebody to replace their O-rings.
0: There you go. Dr. Sniggleton! I don't know. Has anyone ever established whether or not Dr. Venom is, in fact, a medical doctor? I always assumed he was. I think he,
2: his PhD is more, like, from science. Like, he's more of mm. a, like a science kind of
0: doctor, not like a medical doctor, so to speak. Okay. Um, but, I mean, he was making up plague toxins and stuff. I suppose that, you know, that is that is chemistry more than uh, than biology, but it's a little bit of everything. I also think both sides could use a dedicated
2: sort of robotics guy. I mean, we're sort of we in the future now where there's drones and stuff like that, and I think it's important that both sides uh, have somebody who's a specialist in robotics.
0: Actually, more G.I. Joe than Cobra. Cobra seems ah, to have... But you're overlooking Robo Joe, dude. Wasn't he a robotics scientist before... He uh, was raided by Cobra spies and left for dead. Well, there we go. We need his replacement, or we need him in a slimmer
2: jogging suit. Because he's like, <laughs> in my opinion, he's the best um, Star Brigade uh, armor armorine thingy. <laughs> Don't Brigade. ever watch HCC's review of him, then. <laughs> I know, I know, he hates it. I know he hates it like beyond words. But uh, I think it's a cool character, and I think it can be salvaged. And thankfully, he was one of the few that had two arms, so. Yay.
1: I think we need an O-Ring Roddy Piper Destro trainer figure with a cloth kilt. Can you feel it? Um, no, obviously the Joes need an occult specialist who can keep people like Crystal Ball and Dr. Mindbender in check. They don't really have like dedicated opponents, so that would be a good one.
0: Something far less exotic. I often look at the shark and I say to myself... Deep Six is wearing a dive vehicle. The shark is not meant to open up underwater. And Deep Six looks ridiculous trying to manipulate very fine shark controls wearing that suit. I think a far better occupant would be a Navy pilot. Yeah. Not a diver. To infinity and beyond. And G.I. Joe has no Navy pilots. All the pilots are from Air Force. So it's a a shame that 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 branch and that discipline within that branch is missing. But just spiraling out from that, I mean, will anyone uh, have a problem with having a a few more uh, flag crew members? (laughs) It's a mighty big playset, and uh, you're going to run out of Joe figures pretty quickly if you're trying to sign actual named Joes to those positions. Like, just a deck crew, someone to, like use the paddles and like wave the Tomcats around or strikers around. Uh, those yeah. guys are sorely needed. Anyone who's got a flag definitely had to come up with a custom option for those placeholders. Or buy lots of skin marks.
1: <laughs> and on his downtime, he plays his, his Evercast. Or what's that I think? Yeah. Evercade. Yeah,
2: Evercade. I think um there's there's definitely a lot of space for which G.I. Joe toys uh, are we sorely lacking. And uh, a ground crew is definitely one of them. Uh, I also think um Hector Ramirez. Uh, we have to have Mr Twenty questions. Um but I'd love to have a, like a like a box set of supporting cast. You know, from the from the Sunbow cartoon and from the uh, comic book. Like uh I can I always forget her name, the the girl with the bubblegum and the bear suit. Bongo? Bongo, candy yeah. Candy Apple? Are you kidding yes, me? Yes, Candy Apple and then also that, that like crazy clown from that uh from that that whole story with
0: snake eyes and he's part of that like whole true
2: white i'd love to have yeah dude before you get as deep
0: as that just give us a a crimson guardsman in like the suit and civvies the pinstripe 1930s gangster suit (laughs) (laughs) with the blonde hair and the squared chin and the submachine gun thank you very much there you go those toys are sorely lacking (laughs) outback stew is back and he says, I'd like to know if each member of the show was a G.I. Joe, and what would they be? Their file names, their code names, backstory before joining the Joes, why the Joes chose them, and what what makes them vital to the G.I. Joe team, and who is their most hated Cobra and why. There's a lot of question in that question, but uh, I answered this rather whimsically in a Joe on Joe pod, and I'm just going to default to that. Uh, my codename was Action Feature, <laughs> and I was just like the GI Joe Damn. subteam specialist. So I came equipped with a glider, a zip cord copter. Uh, I had a judo chop action. I had spring loaded launches. Um, I just have all the action features because I am Action Feature, and I fulfill that role. I'll, 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 I'll take that bullet on behalf of the team, uh, so everyone else doesn't have to. I guess I just made it up because I wanted to troll everyone that hates action features. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's you. That's oh, really and of legal. course I've got co- color-changing skin. Because, you know, I'm a white guy from Africa. So sue me.
2: Uh, okay. Well, I, I kind of ha- have a character already, uh, thanks to modern-era G.I. Joes. A Sneaker. Uh, I have a character called Sneaker. And he's, uh, he's actually a Steel Brigade from the new... He's one of the newer Steel Brigaders. And his job, his role actually is he works um in parallel with GI Joe. He is a GI Joe, but he's a he's not a known Joe. He's kind of like Chuckles. Yeah, he he's an infiltration specialist. He's one of the reasons that GI Joe actually has the impressive intel that it has because that's what he does. He gets in and out of places in a in a really cool way, and you know he operates alongside GI Joe without them actually knowing it half the time. Um, Paul, so.
0: Paul, Paul. That's so vanilla, man. You had a much better one in the early days of G.I. Berg. Can you remember what that was? Uh, gee, I'm trying to remember my other one. Corporal Decoy. (laughs) (laughs) The G.I. Joe Neon Specialist who goes out there and his job is to get shot at (laughs) and draw fire away from the more, uh, shall we say, practically minded and and attired G.I. Joes. Hey, that was
2: a more whimsical episode for me. Definitely. It's a great
0: specialty, man. Yeah, there's there's the answer. That's why Leatherneck has giraffe pants. He's drawing the fire <laughs> so that 1994 Battlecore Shipwreck can make the silent kill. That's why Neon was invented.
2: And that's a sympathy kill. I mean, anybody seeing old Leatherneck in those pants just wants to kill him to put him out of his misery. So
1: <laughs> <it's laughs> Kuja, what's yours? White Lightning. Yeah. Yeah, what's, uh, guy's name is Outback Stew? Oh, yeah. If we were G.I. Joe, (laughs) this ain't a movie, dog. Um, you hear us all the time. So, I think, uh, yeah, our G.I. Joe specialties are on the record, baby.
0: Who is our most hated Cobra, and why?
1: Fucking Saw Viper. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. You're
0: talking about the comic book appearances? Nobody likes a gloat. Jeez, who
2: do I hate? Like, is Headman really a Cobra? Like, mm. you know, and, and by that same by that same token, is Darklon really a Cobra? You know, like, if they are included... I'm going to say this,
0: no on both
2: counts. Yeah, it's like, uh, who do I hate from Cobra? Uh, yeah, dude, uh, Scar, to a degree. Um, Scar? Uh, uh, yeah, like, uh, he's just a sniveling little idiot. I freaking hate him. Um Who's Scar? He's a Scarface, man. He's that uh, Cobra officer from the early... um, Ooh, From Scarface. some of the early issues. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Like, I I can't stand him. It just I wanted him to die. <laughs> yeah, I can't actually think of any Cobra that I really don't like. I mean, at least uh, from a character point of view. Except for Scar. Like, he really irritates me. I'm like, die already. <laughs> Scarface. Dr. Another... Yeah, Scarface. I should always call him Scar. Because I was just like, fuck him. I don't even want to know his name. <laughs> But yeah, he should have been a toy as well. I think he is. I think they did a modern era version of him.
0: Yeah, I came in, in like a six pack. There's one that definitely has scars on his face. I oh, think. I still want a Doctor Venom. I'm saying either that or a comic book three pack.
1: Yeah, Who's yeah. your most hated yeah. Stephen?
0: Oh, I'm coming up with nothing, man. Uh, I I've got love for everybody, I guess. I look. I I think the sea slug is a particularly like whack design. Yeah,
1: yeah. You
0: know I I I like I like purple on my cobra troops, but he looks like something out of a Flash Gordon comic book. The Power Ranger dude.
1: <laughs> <a>
0: <laughs> yeah, Power Ranger villain exactly. Yeah. But quite possibly he was a lost Cobra Lord design, and that's why he's a kind of like I don't know. You don't weird. want to get kicked
1: Mm-mm. by those shins.
0: he's meaty I'll give him that he's got incredibly big uh, biceps by sort of 80s standards you know it wasn't the 90s yet but he was I mean he definitely pumps up Um, but yeah those weird moth eyes I don't know as I say it it feels Cobra Law but then you can see his fleshy parts and he's definitely human so Hmm. maybe he was meant to have blue skin there you go citizens of Cobra Law Steve Johnson would like to know, what would be each of your official personal ride among the Joe or Cobra vehicles? Ha! Ooh. I think a Skyhawk would be kind of fun. It's got that jet kick, but it's also a VTOL. Hmm. Yeah, Yeah, man. And it's well-armed. Aside from the fact that it has two rockets, it's got four guns, big old cannons underneath, and some uh, spray-and-pray machine guns in the sort of side (laughs) nacelles fantastic and then you go and and make it the sky skyhawk and it can repel enemy laser fire (laughs) hey winning actually i like the uh, yo it's like
2: oh for me i'm so torn between a skyhawk and a locust man because they they both have like a similar kind of fun factor to them except i think the skyhawk can get into more places than a locust can it can just get there faster yeah
0: and probably far less economically i mean yeah as i've said on record before where do you put the fuel in that thing it's got two jet engines, pal. <laughs> it's going to be able to like take off, maneuver for 30 seconds, and then have to put down.
2: Yeah, true. true.
0: But I mean, let's, let's open up
2: the realm of possibilities here, and let's throw reality out the window. Skyhawk, uh, if powered like like it is in the cartoon and in the comic book, yeah, hell yeah. What a cool vehicle to have. That would be my chariot, <laughs> that or um, Serpentor's chariot. No, I'm joking. Skyhawk for me as well, definitely. In oh, fact I even shut like this up and, your face, really? Pick the same one as me? Well, I mean, I wouldn't mind the Ghosthawk, the upgraded version of it, the Modern Era Incarnation. I really like that vehicle a lot, and I like that it's got
0: a closed canopy. Kuchi's is uh, going to say Havoc, because it's a land vehicle, and it's got the hover capability. Or, jeez, that actually would have been Rob's had he been here. <laughs> Come back, Rob, we need you. Where art thou, Robert? What's going to be, Kooch? Night, Raven. This no. is uh, episode SR-171, after all.
1: <laughs> Damn, I tried hard for that. I'm going to go basic, and I'm going to end it on a little bit of a story time with a question that I got from YouTube. I think, honestly, I want to ride passenger on the Stinger off into the sunset. Because those missiles hit mm-hmm. harder than, than the Vamp. It's black has no doors. Your hair is going to be blown around. Let's see. To answer any any comments on the Stinger as a pick.
0: Uh, I'd go with the SAS Panther at this stage. <laughs> no, dude, the Stinger's
2: great. Like It's like a vamp, just with different colors and missiles.
1: <laughs> it's a nice so, ride.
2: Yeah. yeah, it's a goodie. Well, I we are riding cool. off
1: into the sunset in the Stinger. You guys are in the back seat. Who's driving is the question.
0: There's a back seat?
1: <laughs> Is there a backseat
0: <laughs> <laughs> It's the hot seat, dude. You let one of those missiles fly. <laughs> Listen, don't, and... don't fire Ooh. missiles, crispy.
1: All right, you guys are on the foot pegs. I'm in the passenger seat. Who's who's the driver? That gray guy. Is he just the stinger yeah. driver? Yeah, correct. That's too basic.
0: <laughs> mm. Well, he's he's actually called the enemy. <laughs> Even more basic.
1: Mm. Well, it's, I guess it's appropriate that he's steering the steering the car right now.
0: Beautiful. Let's hear from our buddy Robert Kalupitan. If each of G.I. Joburg were incorporated in the comics, how do you guys do your origin and backstory? However, you can't decide your own codename, backstory, and rank, and how the other characters treat you with the other Joes or Cobras. It is your fellow Joburg who will be giving those details and dossiers. They will be based on the real skills you have and personality traits and faction that you choose as well as how the character's own personalities will clash with yours. Now, Robert, I think I'm going to tap this one as a future episode. episode. Oh, hell yeah. yes. It's been elevated. Because, I mean, we could give our snap decisions right now in the heat of the moment, but I think this is something that is best kept for a, an episode where all of us are in attendance, and we can have each other assigned a, an author. So, for instance, it'll be kind of premeditated, like, Paul will know that he has to author Rob's backstory, and I will know that I have to author Paul's, and Rob will know that he has to author Cujo's. Like, that's how we're going to play this, so Rob, I'm afraid you're going to have to wait a little bit longer, but it'll be worth it. And Loa, aka HCC788, would like to know if you were a tree, what tree would you be? (laughs) Oh my
2: word dude, I can't believe I have to do this first. I'd probably be a palm tree. Like I'd love to be like a bonsai, you know, that's like well taken care of, ancient, mystical, you know, deep roots, restrained growth, but still beautiful. But I know I'm a palm tree. I just, I'm just there swaying in the wind with my coconuts hanging out. You know, everybody looks at me like, oh, that's a really cool tree and really difficult to climb. That's just, I <laughs> suppose that's, that's that's the tree I relate to. Thank you, Brian. I never thought I would. I, I've I've never had to think about that before. Kujo, <laughs> should we even ask?
1: No, you. I think I'd be one of those big redwood trees, uh, that they filmed for indoor. Uh, I grew up around those in Northern California. Those are, uh, they're quite majestic. Maybe Steven.
0: I want to be whatever tree got cut down and pulped to make action figure cards that bore the G.I. Joe logo, baby. And hopefully a <laughs> tasteful explosion to outline a Hector Garrido original. Yes. He just incepted he us. Up. You'll make a fine crystal ball card, Stephen.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and I will warm pegs forever. Ever. In perpetuity. Dan Shemansky. Hey, buddy. Hey. He was just listening to episode 170. I experienced an overwhelming sense of joy when you, Cody, and Troy reminisced about the last joke on and the figure bins. Woo! During this odd time, joy is a good medicine, especially when it involves one of the coolest weekends ever. My idea, Jokon 2018, the one that got away. What one toy run-in did you have your paws on, at Jokon, or anywhere for that matter, that you let slip through your fingers? And you still think about, or regret not pulling the trigger?
2: Ooh, uh, Yeah okay so there are actually two because it's Paul but uh uh, but it's a vehicle and it's a a figure so the figure is a modern era 50th anniversary Firefly aka ultimate Firefly just as the con uh, as the con was closing up and whatever's uh Steve and I had to go for an emergency run to go and get some batteries for his uh new Mauler purchase and uh Just before we left, the dealer that we were getting the mauler from had this wonderful assortment of modern-era Joes. And one of the Joes that he had there was a 50th anniversary um, Firefly. And it wasn't, like, expensive. I think it was, like, a whole $12. And I was like, okay, cool. You know what? I really, really want that. I'll probably pick it up when I get back. And when I got back, it was gone. So I was stupid. I should have, like, asked the guy to hold it for me. Because I lament not getting that toy because I really love that. And I really do need... A, uh, a definitive Firefly for my modern era collection. As for toys, um, I envy Rob's Havoc. I really should have tried to get my hands on a Havoc when I was at, at Joecon. You know, I saw a few and I was like, ah, oh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to fit this in my bag and, you know, whatever. And then I like ended up not like, getting it because Havocs were cheap, man. They were like between 15 and $25. Um, and I just lament not getting one of those because, yeah, I, I want one now and it's a cool toy.
0: So. It was a whole twenty dollars to get Rob's. And that was twenty yep. bucks that was uh our our ill gotten gains, uh courtesy of uh Jim Godfrey's second Godfrey. place custom finish. So yeah, man. Sweet. Free havoc. <laughs> yeah. For Rob. Whoa Where's For Rob. Rob? For me, uh I must say I I obviously went to JoeCon with lists and lists of premeditated stuff that I wanted to get. Got very little of that, but got so much more in other ways. I mean, it, I came away from that place with a, a wealth of Joe toys. A lot of it donated, in fact. So, mm. you know, I, I didn't have to outlay huge wads of cash, fortunately, at the show. Um, you know, it obviously was a massive outlay to get there and, and all the associated costs, of which... Most of them were taken care of by the Joe Fund, me, but obviously a lot of them was kind of borne by us as well. So I was happy to just walk out of there with what I with what I had. I really did not feel any kind of sense of regret. Obviously, you flip forward two years and you're bitter and twisted and filled with regret you're like why am i gouging myself on ebay that stuff was all just staring me in the face right then and there. Mm-hmm. but you know there's a practicality that you need to appreciate and we we had to travel cross-country with our swag and it was not easy uh it was no. very hard at times i mean there were times when we were resorting to public transport and not taking ubers everywhere and Moving with our enormous Joe swag times three was, yeah. Look, it's lucky we did not come away from those, that convention with more than we did. Uh, and that's something that Rob would very quickly uh, remind us of if he was here right now. So I'm glad I can kind of speak for the man, but to cap it off, I wanted to get a rattler because a classic rattler was something I sorely lacked. The Rattler used in the Atlantis Factor was Rob's, and it was the G.I. Joe version from 1997. So I was like, there's a majesty to that jet that you need the original to really truly appreciate. Lo Mm. and behold, my prayers were answered by Ronald Hoff, the expert action figure restorations guy from the Netherlands, who hooked me up with a beautiful European version of the Rattler, which has the most exquisite blue. So that story definitely has a happy ending. And, yeah, to try and move cross-country with a Rattler in your luggage, that's um, a particularly fragile piece, and I, I I would have hated myself if something had happened to it. I mean, it was bad enough me sort of ferrying with a Mauler with, with very, 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 very ginger kit gloves. <laughs> but uh, to, to try and spread my attentions over a Mauler and a Rattler and this heavy other backpack and bag and stuff... Yeah, something would have had to give. I still love Rob for
2: that, man. You know when that lady tried to put her stuff in our overhead luggage compartment and your molar was, I i think, i no, I don't know if your mauler was there. I think it was stowed under your chair or stowed <laughs> under the chair. Pal, the mauler was
0: on my lap from taxiing to landing. Uh, that mauler never left my lap.
2: But I, I got to say, uh, Rob was the best, like, security guard slash watchdog for our toys because I had a ton of stuff in bags. Uh, in our overhead compartment like uh it's just toys in a a, literally in a shopping packet and a few other things were up in there and this one lady kept on trying to put her bags in our overhead stowage. and when it was lights out on the plane uh we were all asleep Uh, well I wasn't I was watching uh something on my iPad and I sort of see her see this movement on the corner of my eye and I'm about to say something and Rob looks like he's half comatose and he goes no (laughs) No, <laughs> and she like myths. She off. kind of got a bit
0: of a fright, and she was like, "Oh, I'll put it in the next person's overhead storage."
1: <laughs> Love
0: that, Jesus. Cooge, how about you, man? Was there one that got away? Was it? uh it was the the Worms Commander with Ascot. <laughs> the FSS guy.
1: No, I thought about that, but we did get some tasty uh, Adam Rich's art, and so I do yeah. I do have the Worms Officer. Actually, every every month that I flip the calendar, I put his picture up in front of the uh, the new calendar picture. But uh, really? no, no regrets. Uh, I think I got that, and I got a word burglar T-shirt, so it was a good trip. Nice.
0: I'm sorry, Dan didn't follow up with his one that got away. Uh, I know he picked up a pretty sweet Sky Raven, and that's a that's a nice score. And he was very yeah. pleased to tell me about that. But uh, Dan, if you want to follow up uh, by giving us your one that got away, man. We'll commiserate with you, and maybe, hey, maybe you've tracked it down in the intervening years. Damn, it's been years since Jokon. What a time, what a time. Yeah. He's got a follow-up question. He saw in another group that he thought uh, this was a good enough topic to not uh, let slip by, and he is really, really interested to hear your answer, Cujo. But what figure that did not come with an animal companion would have been
1: enhanced by coming with one? Kuj, do you want to lead the charge, buddy? Hmm. I've been strolling on the streets of Durban, so you're asking me to march right now. I'm 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 going to take a breath on this one. Paul, do you have anything off the bat? Who who could
2: have really benefited from an animal companion? I I actually you know what? I think Bazooka could have actually benefited from an animal companion. I think Bazooka's just like the kind of character that just having an animal companion with him would have actually made him a very fun character, you know. Could have had, like, a raccoon or something called Boom Boom or something. You know what I mean? Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I haven't really given that much thought. Cujo, uh, i, I got to say, uh, Dan was quite right in tapping you uh, for an answer because you, you seem to care about animal companions quite a bit.
1: I, th- I think there's room for an armadillo. You could probably sculpt a pretty interesting armadillo. That could work with some kind of armor specialist. Of course, a reptile, a lizard would be good. You have snakes out there with Serpentor. You should probably have a lizard that could sit on somebody's arm. Be a little clip-on. Yeah, I I don't know. Nobody's jumping to mine, but I do want to chew on this. I'll come back strong.
2: I think Destro should have a pug.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Dude, dude, I was just thinking Destro, and that does make sense.
2: Yeah. Because Larry Homer also has a pug, so I think it would have been
0: quite fitting. Pugnacious.
2: I love Larry Homer's pug.
0: Jemison, A.K.A. Jamo. <laughs> Why not just fill out the rest of the '87 Freak Squad with with uh, animal companions? Crystal Ball could come with an owl. That's pretty cool. And uh, Big Boa could come with a boa constrictor. Maybe he already has a big boa. Maybe that's where he gets his codename. I just I just think like you know he's got this gigantic muscular snake. Draped around him. Which is actually trying to squeeze the life out of him at any opportunity, but he's like, Oh I still got it And yeah, I mean having an owl in any kind of dio setup with Crystal Ball would enhance him. Like he's the kind of figure that is really cheaped out by his lackluster accessory.
2: Yeah. Uh... I mean
0: what he what he's supposed to do use it like a Captain America shield I mean it's I suppose it's a hypno shield so it's got hypnotizing properties but like in terms of a real world prop for the guy that he can actually just kind of have on his gauntlet or have in his uh, sanctum just kind mm. of prettying up the place
1: speaking mm. of Lady J and Scarlet <laughs> break out the hypnotizer sorry guys
0: <laughs> you're so dirty too Joe. <laughs> Oh, damn. Yeah, dude. uh, As I say, young teens with female action figures, we'd never taken on a kind of a female persona before in playtime. So it was it was it was weird. Well, interesting. I'm glad I passed through that. Is it
1: fair to say that the the subject of hypnosis is is that taboo? I don't know. It's interesting. Interesting question.
0: Gentlemen, the final question comes from Andrew Creech. Our good buddy, Mr. Andrew. Uh, And I don't have it jotted down. I'm going to try and do this from memory, because we actually spoke uh, not too long ago. But it went something along the lines of, how would your appreciation of G.I. Joe be different if the golden years of the 1980s did not exist? If G.I. Joe, as a toy line, was kick-started in 1990.
2: And introduced in the same way, I assume. So, like, it's kind of like, how we got Joes in the 90s is how we got Joes? Like, would that be the thing I as well? I think so. Or, yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you think it would have been as enduring? Do you think you would have been as much of a fan of it? Or would you have turned your nose up and walked away? And I think I want to start this question with Cujo, because I think you were the closest to being there for the beginning of joe hmm so this affects you far more profoundly than it would affect paul and i like how old were you in 1990 cooge like toys were dead weren't they
1: Mm. yeah they weren't very alive to me i still had like uh models in my room and and stuff like that i think that gi joe is is a flashpoint i don't i don't think it hits because some people, not everybody kind of attached itself to the military machine. You know, a lot of it was camaraderie. So I think, uh, yeah, just the design, everything that hit at the time in the 80s where, you know, pop culture could, you know, it was a lot, I think it was a lot freer in expression. I think that's that's when it hit. Probably couldn't make it.
0: So it would have died then and there, man, with it on the
1: vine. Well, I mean, what do you guys think that would a would a military line hit later in society, like when people aren't nearly as in love with the narrative?
0: When teenage Ninja Turtles were dominating. Hmm. I know how I
2: can answer this question because for Steve and I, it's very much experience um, that speaks here. It's actually our history. But I'd say most people I know personally got into G.I. Joe when they were in the 90s. I mean, I know I lo- I, I managed to get some G.I. Joe toys before the 90s when I was a, like a little kid and whatever. But, I mean, when they opened Northgate Shopping Mall and we walked into that uh, that Dion's on that very fateful day and Dave and I bought like, I got like a an eel. I mean, not an eel, I got a, um, what's it called? Uh, The Iron Grenadier Diver. For the life of me, I can't think of its name. Undertow. Right Undertow, thank you. I got an undertow and he got snake eyes. And then we went to go watch that movie Toys. <laughs> so like G.I. Joe was very much as a toy, like, oh, that was cool. But it, you know, if I talk to people about G.I. Joe now, like adults, uh, other adults that are like the same age as me and whatever, so a lot of people don't remember it. Maybe they sometimes go, oh, I remember the toy kind of. So yeah, to answer that question, I would say no, G.I. Joe would probably would not have done as well had it um, started off uh, in the 90s, because in South Africa, it didn't do that well. Yeah, people dug it. Uh, kids my age, when we were still kids, were like, Yeah, I want to be Snake guys and I want to be this guy, and whatever. Um, but no, it didn't actually do as well. So I, I don't know if that answers the question. Uh, maybe Steve has a different take on it.
0: I think my reception of G.I. Joe wouldn't have changed one bit. I only started collecting G.I. Joe in the year 1990, and assuming the releases remained the same... Yeah, man, it captivated me then, and it held me in its sway, wholly and completely and absolutely. Any discovery made subsequent to becoming an adult and 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 the advent of the internet uh, didn't happen in those in that order. I mean, the internet started popping onto my radar in '97, I think. I was about 13 years old. Mm. So, GI Joe has become a kind of a a course of study. And a voyage of discovery, uh, thanks to the doors of the internet kind of being blown wide and being able to reach back, and thanks to Yojo.com and various other avenues, and, and see the old cartoons, and see the old toys, and even through the miracle of eBay, own them too. But G.I. Joe, from the year 1990 to current, has captivated me, and I would be a collector to this day regardless. I I, I'm confident of that fact that's uh yeah it wouldn't have changed me one bit what I'm saying is for myself no it wouldn't have changed
2: anything for me because it didn't I mean I'm still a Joe fan and that's how I got into G.I. Joe for real that yes I had the toys before but the 90s was me really geeking out on G.I. Joe I mean David and I were excited about it we were chasing the fabled snake eyes you know the one that came with the dog or with the wolf what which one was it you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's endured for years. I mean,
0: I still love G.I. Joe now, to this day. But uh, I'm convinced yeah. that that series only got to South Africa in 89. Very likely, dude. Very yeah. likely. That's my belief. Because I remember seeing them at Pick and Pay in 1990. So, <laughs> you could get 1985 Snake Eyes, the version 2 that everyone loves in the 90s, in South Africa. That's how delayed we were. And so that's how our reception of G.I. Joe has trickled on in years to the point where, you know, Paul and I can be a decade younger than, like, our fellow Joe fans, and yet we are still as swept up in it as anyone. Because, Mm. I mean, we had the delay to thank for allowing us to, like, you know... Have a taste of the really good stuff.
2: Uh, to add to that, Michael Kerrigan, uh, my other G.I. Joe friend uh, from school, who uh, whose condor I, I own, um, or originally owned, um, and who owned the Tomahawk, uh, his brother Richard had that Snake Eyes, the wolf, but lost it when they went overseas. Like He brought it with him on the plane and he lost it somewhere overseas,
0: but he got it here. Uh, and his brother is only a year older than I am. Hey, man, if you want any evidence of Snake Eyes V2... Being in South Africa or not, just check out Hm, mm. He's there. Yeah, there you go. I mean, you know,
2: I liked mine because it felt more sentimental. But yes, Stephen's right. It's empirical evidence.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I didn't actually see it myself, but I do recall seeing Airtight. I remember seeing Shipwreck. I remember seeing Dr. Mindbender. I remember passing hard on all of the above. (laughs) Instead, I went for Monkey Wrench and Lifeline and Mainframe. And Iceberg. Oh, yeah. Gentlemen, that concludes our Q&A session for this evening. I hope we managed to get everyone's questions in. If you were missed, bring my attention to it somehow on the socials, and we will get around to it in a future episode. This has been fun. I think we might do it again sometime.
2: I, w- I would still love to try and do one of these Q&A sessions as a YouTube thing, like as a live stream, uh, just because I think it might be more, uh, uh, not more fun, but I think it'd be quite fun for our guys. Maybe they can ask us like questions, live questions, you know.
0: Paul, since uh, HCC is not so big on the live streaming, uh, the way is open for you to launch that live stream, man. I'm sure I am sure. think we should do it. He yeah. was questions to high heaven. Because I asked our Patreons if they would want me to open up
2: my mystery, don't, don't, don't spoil it for them, my mystery G.I. Joe vehicle that I've got here, my mystery vintage G.I. Joe vehicle, if they wanted me to do a live stream of it or like a a proper pre-recorded video. And and they all voted that we should do a pre-recorded video, but I still want to do something cool for the live stream and I've got a a full playthrough of the video game, of the arcade video game, G.I. Joe the Arcade Game. And um, I just wanted something else so that I could have something fun for our people to look forward to. So
1: why don't we do an artwork live stream this Friday? Uh
2: okay. So Friday is a little bit tricky for me at the moment. Oh my God! Uh,
0: it's, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> we should art? do this, guys. We should do this. Um, it's a little tricky.
2: Fridays are a little bit tricky because of uh certain like sort of social concerns. Um, because it's actually become the only evening I like, get to really see Cecilia. Um, so. I would actually vote for a Thursday if possible. She might not be into fossils, but she digs the bone. <laughs> <laughs>
1: she might enjoy a live stream conversation, you never know.
2: No, I think she totally would, but I, I I would like to run that past her first, you know what I mean? So like Yeah, of course. It's a team. Wow. It's a team, you know? We're a team. Her and I are a team. And she's generally
1: done, but yeah. In closing, it's been a lovely night in the streets of Durban. <laughs> Thank you guys. We're talking about kooch. It's 11 a.m. Oh well.
2: (laughs) You must go for a bunny chow. If you ever find yourself in Durban, go and rock yourself a bunny chow. That will change your life.
0: I would not be walking the streets of Durban off dark uh, after having some Durban poison. You need to have your wits about you, man.
1: Uh, The jungle uh,
0: might be encroaching on that city, but so is crime. Yeah, Durban's rough.
1: I think that qualifies for a Durban hashtag. (laughs) It's 4 a.m.
0: in Queensland. It is uh, 8 p.m. in South Africa. It's 11 a.m. in Long Beach. I think it's time at the tone to say goodbye.
2: Yeah. Adios. Au revoir. Cheers.
1: Peace.